Hi, this is Pastor Ryan Spooner. I'm so glad that you're listening to our sermon podcast. I hope it's a blessing. If you live in the area, or even if you don't, we would love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. We meet at 10.30 a.m. at the Millworks in Willington, Connecticut, 156 River Road. Also, if you'd ever like to help support our church financially, we would be extremely grateful. You can donate through our website, stpaulschurchct.org. Thanks. All right. He is risen. Amen. Death could not hold Jesus. There's an old metaphor that I really love. Uh, It goes back, I believe, to the church fathers in the uh, very first century of the church uh, that can help us to conceptualize what happened when Jesus died. And it goes something like this. On Good Friday, the monster of death came for Jesus and swallowed him up. It figured it could do that because it swallows up every human being. But what the monster of death didn't realize was that it wasn't just swallowing any ordinary human being, but the very incarnation of God, a sinless human being. And the monster of death can't digest divinity. And so it gets a stomachache, a fatal stomachache. And so death dies. Jesus, in entering into death, ruptures the beast from the inside and bursts out to new life. Isn't that beautiful? And the sign of that is what we celebrate today, the resurrection. Now, before we read the account of the empty tomb... Uh, This morning, I'm feeling drawn to another passage, and it's from the book of Revelation, the very last book in the Bible. It's a, a vision of God's end goal for creation. Revelation 21, 3 through 5, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. I am making everything new. It's been a long time since I've watched uh, 2004's film, The Passion of the Christ. Uh, Very powerful movie, but one moment from that that stands out to me as exceptionally moving is the moment when Jesus is carrying his cross and he falls and his mother Mary rushes over to him and Jesus looks at her, he's all bloody and disfigured, and he says, Look, Mother, I make all things new. He speaks that line from Revelation. Now, the Gospel accounts don't have Jesus saying that uh, during the crucifixion, but I think it was an inspired choice by the filmmakers to put those words from from Revelation in Jesus' mouth in that moment, because in that moment, Jesus was doing what was necessary to make all things new. 
He was doing what was necessary to defeat the powers of sin and death and overcome the old order of things, the order of mourning and crying and pain. So Revelation 21 tells us what God's end goal is, and the Gospels tell us how he's accomplishing it, and he's accomplishing it through Jesus. I'm making everything new. There's something so powerful about those words. Notice, he doesn't say, I am making all new things. He says, I'm making everything new. It's a big difference. God's goal is not to erase the world and start over. Saying, oh, this, this is too messed up. Let's just get rid of it. Start from scratch. He could do that. But that's not his goal. His goal is to heal and transform the world. Not to condemn it, but to save it and to heal and transform us. Notice that it's also in the present tense. Not, I made all things new, or I will make all things new. I am making all things new. God is making all things new through what Jesus has done. Jesus' resurrection is what we might call the first fruits of the newness that God is bringing. Uh, that's the word that the Apostle Paul uses in 1 Corinthians to describe it, first fruits. The first fruit is the first uh, part of a harvest, the first crop. And uh, Jesus is the first crop in a much larger harvest. He's the first one to overcome the old order of things, the old order of sin and death and mourning and crying and pain. But he will not be the first one to experience that kind of victory over the old order. He is, he is the first one to usher in the larger harvest that is coming. And in the meantime, we should find hope by remembering the first fruit, the resurrection of Jesus. So, Let's do that now. We're going to read uh, Luke's account of the resurrection, Luke chapter 24. And uh, this is uh, kind of a long passage, but I think we can handle it. It's a good one. So Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. Just one quick note. Notice how this begins with, on the first day of the week. People sometimes wonder, why do we celebrate, uh, why do we celebrate worship together on Sunday rather than Saturday, right? For the Jews, it was the seventh day. This is, this is why there's the shift, right? Because the resurrection, the inauguration of the new creation happened on first day of the week. That was the shift. Anyway, um, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you when he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, 
Mary the mother of James, and the others who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Women weren't even considered to be valid witnesses in court in those days, so this is one of those signs that this is not a story that was fabricated, because if you really wanted to give a strong defense of your, uh, your claims, it's a weird choice to make women to be the first witnesses. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now, the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, he asked. Well, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. 
He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that's written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. All right, so there's a lot that we could talk about in there and dissect. But what I want to focus on this Easter, with Revelation 21 in mind, I am making all things new, is what this tells us about the newness that God is bringing. That is a word, I looked it up, newness. The newness that God is bringing. Three things. First, it is physical. Or at least there is a physical dimension to it. When the risen Jesus first appears to his disciples, he says, Look at my hands and my feet. Touch them. See, I'm not a ghost. I'm made of flesh and bone. And then he goes a step further to prove himself, and he says, well, do you have anything to eat? See, the point of that moment isn't just that Jesus ate a snack. The point is that he is so physical that he can be nourished by the physical world. Right? Jesus has returned to embodied existence. He's not a ghost. I remember... uh, One of the movies from my childhood, the live-action version of Casper, the Friendly Ghost. And when the ghosts would eat all the food, it would just fall right down to the floor in a big pile, right? Jesus isn't like that. Jesus is able to taste and chew and digest. He's physical. So the newness that God is bringing is not just for our spirits but it's also for our bodies. We should not make the mistake of thinking that the kingdom of heaven is a place where spirits float around like jellyfish in an aquarium. I don't know about you, that's not attractive to me, right? Physical existence is good. We don't need to be freed from the burden of materiality. We need to be freed from sin and death. In Genesis, when uh, it describes God creating humanity, it describes God breathing life into the dust. So, from the very beginning, God's intention is for us to be this special mixture of dirt and soul, of physical and spiritual. The body without the spirit, that's not good. Spirit without the body, that's not good either. We're meant to have both. Now, I understand, um, for any of you who might feel skeptical, you know, you might be saying, how in the world could that be? You know, maybe, maybe you think, well, I can kind of envision that, you know, after death, it could sort of shift into some other realm, our spirits float away, or something like that, but, but actual physical resurrection, resurrection of bodies, that, how does that make any sense at all? I mean, it's hard to believe that Jesus' 
body could be resurrected after what it had been through. But what, I mean, he was only dead for three days, right? At least there was a body there to resurrect. What about bodies that disintegrated centuries ago? What about bodies that burned up? What about bodies whose atoms have disintegrated and now become part of other bodies? How, how, what is this? This is crazy. How could that happen? How could those bodies ever be renewed? Well, the Corinthian church actually struggled with these same questions. These are not just questions that modern scientific people ask. Uh, the Apostle Paul acknowledges these kinds of questions when he says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? The Corinthian church was having a problem with believing in the resurrection of the body. Well, the simplest answer to these kinds of questions is just to say, well, hey, God is God. Of course he can resurrect bodies that have completely disintegrated. Uh, maybe some of you remember uh, Ezekiel's vision of the Valley of the Dry Bones, right, where there is a, uh, a valley with bones that are, uh, that are so dead, you know, that they're completely dry, they're turning to dust, and there's a voice that says, you know, can, can these bones live? And in Ezekiel's vision, the bones start snapping together and tendons start forming on them and muscles and skin. And then they all rise up as living beings, as a, a great army. And uh, it, it, it's supposed to be a vision of what is possible with God, specifically that, that Israel is going to, to be redeemed and, and live again after being in exile. But, it, but it's a powerful image that says what seems dead with God can live again. So that's the simple answer. God is God. Nothing's impossible with him. But here's a thought that might be helpful for you if uh, that's landing flat right now. We now know that most of the cells in our body die and are replaced over time right? I found an article from NPR just last night that said that 98% of the atoms that make up our bodies are replaced yearly. So in terms of the physical material making up your body right now, you are not the same person that you were a few years ago, right? But you're still you. Why are you still you? Because the pattern is the same. When it comes to what makes you you, the pattern of the physical material is more important than the physical material itself. So do you think God has any trouble remembering your pattern? I don't think so. God knows and remembers the pattern of every person. So he can bring atoms together in that pattern again if he wants. Even if they're not exactly the same atoms, it doesn't matter, as long as he knows the pattern. And he knows, as Jesus says, he knows every hair on your head, everything about you. Okay, so first thing about the newness God is bringing, it is physical, right? Second thing I want us to notice, it is incomprehensible, at least to us now. It's incomprehensible. Did you notice how long it took those guys on the road to Emmaus to realize who they were talking to? 
And that's especially significant when we recognize that Luke refers to these men as two of them. Two of who? Two of his disciples. Now, these were not uh, part of the Big Twelve, but Jesus had many other followers besides the Big Twelve, including the women that went to the tomb to bring the spices. And apparently these men were among them, right? They know all about Jesus. They, um, they refer to the women as our women, some of our women, right? They identify with the group of Jesus' followers. And after they have this experience with Jesus, they know where to go to find the 11 disciples, right? So clearly they are followers of Jesus, which means they knew what Jesus looked like. They knew what Jesus sounded like. And yet they're walking with the risen Jesus, talking about Jesus, and then having Jesus lecture them about how the scriptures point to his resurrection, and they still don't realize who they're talking to. And even when they invite him into their house, they don't realize who who they're talking to. They don't realize it until this moment when Jesus breaks the bread. And then he disappears. And we'll talk more about that when we do communion. (laughs) But that's weird, isn't it? And this is not the only point in the resurrection accounts where something like this happens. Uh, When Mary Magdalene is talking to the risen Jesus, she doesn't recognize him right away. She has a long history with Jesus. It's not until Jesus says her name that it clicks for her and she realizes who she's talking to. And then, in the passage that we just read, Jesus suddenly appears with the disciples as if he just appeared out of nowhere, right? Just like the way he disappeared when he broke the bread, now he appears suddenly with the disciples as if he went through walls. We know through uh, John's gospel that the disciples, the room they were in, it was locked. They were trying to hide because they were worried that the same people who crucified Jesus would want to crucify them. They were in hiding, and yet all of a sudden, there's Jesus, poof, right in front of them. So, even though Jesus' new body is physical, people who know him don't always recognize him. Even though his body is physical, it can disappear and reappear. There is something about the newness that God is bringing that those of us in the old order cannot comprehend. It just does not compute as people who are still living under the old order of death and mourning and crying and pain and sin, we can't conceive of a physical order that is not bound by those things, where those things aren't part of the program. Try to imagine it. You can't do it. I can't do it. I have a theory. This is a little speculative, but maybe part of the reason that people didn't recognize Jesus is because his new body was ageless. You know, people will sometimes ask the question, uh, you know, what age do you think will be in heaven? And it's a question that never seems to have a good answer to it. No matter what you come up with, it's like, wait, that doesn't... Hmm. How How do you answer that question? Well, maybe age is only part of the old order of things. Right? Maybe in the new order, we will be ageless. And by that, I don't mean forever young or forever old. I mean ageless. And I don't entirely know what I mean by that. (laughs) Right? I can't comprehend that. 
But maybe that's why people had trouble recognizing the risen Jesus. His new body, freed from the old order of death, was without age. Speculative, but it's hard not to be speculative when you're provoked to wonder, right? There's something mysterious about the newness that God is bringing. It defies our comprehension. And isn't that exciting? The Apostle Paul wrote, No mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. The newness that God is bringing for those who love him is better than we can imagine. And then finally, one more thing to recognize about this newness is that it begins now through repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. It begins now through repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Jesus said to his disciples, This is what is written, The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Right now, the way that God is making things new is not by giving everyone resurrection bodies. That is a harvest that is to come. We wait, hopefully, for that. But in the meantime, God is making things new through the proclamation of a message. And it's a message that leads to repentance. Now, I think that word has gained some negative associations uh, due to it being used by people who are very angry, right? Repent! Repent! But that word repentance, it literally means to change your mind. Which, when you think about how hard it is for people to change their minds, especially when they're invested in something, is a pretty remarkable thing, right? Repentance. Change your mind. And and it means to change your mind in a way that results in a transformation in your life. Change your mind. Repentance. And the change of mind that brings newness has to do with the forgiveness of sins. The message that brings newness here and now has two aspects related to forgiveness of sins. So the first is that through Jesus, God offers us forgiveness of our sins. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. We talked about this on Friday night. He endured humanity's sin, and yet while he did that, he prayed, Father, forgive them. In that moment, he expresses the heart of God more clearly than anything we could look to. Father, forgive them. So if you think your sins are unforgivable, you need to repent. You need to have a change of mind. Forgiveness of sins is offered in Jesus' name. We can be reconciled to our Creator. We don't have to be estranged from God. We are welcomed into relationship with Him. But then the second aspect of this message is this. Through Jesus, God calls us to forgive the sins that have been committed against us. Repent. Change your mind about the forgiveness of sins. See, our natural tendency is not to want to forgive. But Jesus calls us to repent of that. 
When we choose to forgive, when we turn from hatred and revenge, the newness of God breaks into the old order of death and mourning and crying and pain. Relationships are healed. People are freed from guilt and shame. Even wars can end when that happens. The old order is the way of violence and revenge. The new order is the way of Jesus, the way of forgiveness, peace, reconciliation. What are the first words that Jesus says to his disciples? Peace be with you. So one of the best ways that we can celebrate Easter is to repent, change our mind, about the forgiveness of sins. Either by trusting Jesus for our own forgiveness or by granting forgiveness to someone we know. He is making everything new. May you know and experience that today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your victory over sin and death. Lord, help us to experience you and your resurrection power. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins that is offered in Christ's name. May we receive it and share it. Lord, we look forward to the day when everything will be made new, physical and spiritual. Even though we can't comprehend it, it's too wonderful for us to imagine. We look forward to it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.